So it's the fifth day of our Dharma practice together. All our intent on this, coming together, many people from many different countries, many different time zones. And uh, so we have these different uh, time zones that we've come up with, that it's uh, natural that in different places in the world will be uh, different kind of different time. But this is these times are also something that humans have created. These are suppositions that we come up with that the time differs by so many hours in different places. So this is a convention that we have created for the sake of understanding like this. If we didn't have this creation, uh, we wouldn't know how to talk with one another about this matter. We wouldn't know how to kind of answer the question, what time is it now? Um, How different is the time? So we should thank the people that created this system, this convention, it gives us this convenience. We're able to organize um, ourselves, able to talk in a way that we understand this convention about time. You see, the time is always moving. It's always spinning around. And all beings, humans, animals, Um, They're all affected by this time. They're all getting consumed by time. Old age, sickness and death is coming closer to us all the time. So time consumes all beings and it even consumes itself. So we should set our hearts on this practice and we need to contemplate as well. Contemplate into this nature of conventions, that we live in different countries. Each country has, for the most part, its own language. During the time of the Buddha, um, in India, there were many different languages, but Pali was the common language. So it's similar to this present day and age, that we have many different countries, they have their own languages there but we have this language of English in common that we can all understand in line with conventions. So these conventions are things that we've met with since we were born. We have these conventions of boy and girl, but if we change those up, um, if they were changed right from the time that we were born, we called a girl a boy and a boy a girl, then that's how we would speak right now. 
That's how we would understand things right now. The same with a monk and a layperson. If we called a layperson a monk and a monk a layperson, if that was how the convention was, we changed the conventions like that, then that's how we would speak and that's how we would understand things. So the same with novice and monk, if we change those over, then people would understand um, that in line with that convention. Like a chicken and a duck, that if those were changed around, then we would be calling a chicken a duck and a duck a chicken. And that's how we would understand it. But when we're born, we gain this kind of understanding through supposition or of supposition and we think that that's reality. We think that a duck really is a duck and a chicken really is a chicken. That we don't know conventions. But really it's just this language, it's just a name uh, that we call different things. That there's this person and that person the various buildings, the Dharma halls, the jetties, these are all just conventions. But if we don't realize that, then we think that it's real. We think that I am real, that they are real. So we have a self, and we're lost in that self. We don't see it for what it really is, and so we're deluded by it. So when we have an understanding of this, we see into not-self. When we see that, we see the true self. We see the self as being anicca, dukkha, anatta. We see it as changing and suffering and not-self. So this is the wisdom that arises, that allows us to know and see. So when we practice the Dhamma, we develop this mindfulness, develop samadhi and make that firm. And we also have the self while we're practicing. But we also see the drawbacks in having that sense of self because suffering arises. And sometimes we're able to see that not having a self, um, that we won't suffer. We see how throughout this life, that we've experienced so much pain and difficulty, and we don't want to experience that again. But we don't know the cause of that. Why is it that I suffer the way I do? So we go through this anguish and this pain, and we don't know the cause for it. We also don't know the methods to fix that. But when the Buddha awakened uh, through his own effort, and he taught the methods. He taught about this dukkha, the suffering, the cause of dukkha, its cessation, and the path of practice leading to that cessation. So we study this, and this is something that people have studied right until this present day, and we begin to gain an understanding of it, that suffering arises due to the presence of the self. But at the same time, whatever we look at, we take that personally. That all things are self. We see everything in terms of me and mine, you and yours. It's hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin. This is all me. This is all mine. 
So when I was a lay person, I tried to contemplate into not-self in order to try to fix this suffering. So I reflected upon this body, and specifically the blood in the body. And the blood that was taken out of my body, I could see that, that that's not me. I could gain that understanding. But when I contemplated the blood in my body, then that was my blood. So this was the wisdom that comes about through thinking. I was thinking about this, but that doesn't lead to a really clear understanding. It doesn't lead to attainment. You think and contemplating in that way, but it doesn't cut it, it doesn't pass. So I could see how the blood externally, that's not me, but internally, it was me, there was still that clinging and attachment there. So when we contemplate in this way, through our thinking, then we try to see into not-self, but we're not able to succeed in that. And so that's why the monks, they tell us, meditate, develop mindfulness, and practice in this way. Make your samadhi strong, and then use that to contemplate. So really try to do that, to cultivate this mindfulness. And take up these precepts, normally take up the five precepts, and then on the lunar observance days, the eight precepts. And then as your faith grows, then you can increase the number of days that you keep the eight precepts for. Because these help us to give energy to our meditation practice. We're able to cut off many things through these eight precepts. Able to cut off getting involved in adorning the body, in eating after midday, and things to do with sleep, and not finding a pleasure in those things. You can try sleeping on the floor, but also maybe a good idea to have something under you as well, some kind of cushioning, so that you don't kind of experience too much pain. And if you go out and eat in the evening, then that wastes a lot of time, because you need to go here and there. So you don't have that opportunity to find quietude, to find a place to develop mindfulness and look at your breath. The time reduces. But if you take up these eight precepts, then the opportunity that you have to practice grows. You're able to cut off concerns about eating in the evening. The body is also lighter, it's less prone to drowsiness, and it's easier to develop mindfulness. And then we come to meditate while listening to the Dhamma. Especially in the beginning, this is something that's very important to do, looking after our hearts in this way. Because our hearts, our minds are like a tree uh, that need taking care of. That we plant a young sapling 
and we need to put something over it to shelter it from the harsh sunlight. We also water it and give it some fertilizer as well. And then that sapling grows and grows into a tree. So our hearts are like this. They're like small children that need looking after, that need a boundary as well. So when we listen to the Dharma, that helps to keep our minds within a boundary. See how in this present day there are so many kinds of entertainment that people in this world are deluded in. It's like when we're watching a sports event and if we cheer one side and they win, then we're happy. If we're supporting a side and they lose, then we get upset. And it's natural for people in this world to be like this, and we were like this before ourselves. But if we attach to these things, if we um, have this deluded delight in these things, then that gives us trouble. But having been like this before, instead now we're seeking out this time to train our minds, to give them an understanding, looking after our hearts through taking up these five or these eight precepts, trying to have a sense of composure and to practice this way of mental cultivation, seeking out the Dhamma. And as we do this, then one day, through listening to the Dhamma, we can gain understanding. So I once... um, I'd listened to a Dharma talk about the nature of conventions, how all things are conventions. So like a glass, that we say that it has different sizes. We say it's called a glass, and this is the convention of language. But when the mind is still and we look at that, then none of that is there. Again, this deep understanding, and vimuti arises. And the mind gains this really clear understanding. And so when I was listening to a teaching by Ajahn Chah, um, I didn't think that it would be like this. I was just sitting there listening, really focused on what he was saying. My mind wasn't in jhana or anything like that. But as I was listening, there was this um, sense of stillness. And it was really incredible this understanding came up that these things, they're not really there. And the mind entered into emptiness, could see all things as being empty. They dropped into the state of emptiness, seeing things in their truth. Now, I had this understanding for a long time about me and mine, that things really are me or you. But when experiencing this state, realize that all things are empty. Looking at the sala, at the various objects around, everything was just this arising and ceasing. And perhaps we've listened um, about this before, this jnana, this knowledge, seeing sankharas, these fabrications, as arising and ceasing. We've listened to this before. We've thought about it, we've contemplated But 
When it really happens, you see things like this. You see everything breaking apart. And there's this clear knowledge there, this clarity, this understanding of the Dhamma that comes through seeing the Dhamma. So it's like if there was a house, and suppose that house just had a lifespan of a hundred years. And it's like we're looking at that house, and then as each year passed, we slowly see it kind of break apart. And then as it gets to 99 years, then we really see it start to fall apart. And then when there's only kind of 10 months left, nine months left, and then eventually when it reaches that hundred years, the whole thing just breaks and crumbles. And right there, when it crumbles, then we see into its nature of impermanence. But when we practice and when wisdom arises, we see all of that happening right here in the present moment. That there's this just arising and ceasing happening right in the present moment. You know, it doesn't take kind of a hundred years, but it happens right here, coming and going. We see all things like that this arising and ceasing. See that all beings or people or animals are walking towards their death. And you can't find kind of, um, a self in this. So when we see things in this way, then there's a sense of weariness that comes up. And the mind um, eases out or extracts this lust for the things in this world. So we see things in this way. We have this weariness, this lack of lust. And during the time of the Buddha, um, that there were arahants who had attained, and they saw things in this way as well. They saw, before their attainment, they saw that all the things in this world, they don't really have any value. That all lives are going towards death and must end in death. They saw that the developing of barami, the spiritual virtue, is really a worthwhile and a very good thing to do. So like how the Buddha gave up so much, gave up his wealth, gave up his family, and did that for many, many lives, because he had this aspiration for bodhinyana, for this knowledge of awakening, this very highest aspiration. The arahants, they sacrificed so many things, because they saw how these things, they're not sure, they're not constant, they're not stable, that we have to leave everything behind, that nothing lasts. And by seeing this and by practicing, and we see the nature of conventions, and then vimuti liberation arises, we see the Dhamma. And then there's a great sense of joy that arises from that, from seeing the truth. Because we've been traveling in the cycle of samsara for such a long time now, through each life that we've had, being born as very various things into different religions, separating things out in this way, 
But when we gain a knowledge in our hearts, we see that it's greed, hatred and delusion that takes our minds through these lifetimes to um, becoming and birth. But when this knowledge comes up, when we understand reality, then there's no eighth life. It's just seven lives left. In the beginning, we need to set ourselves on this practice, on meditating, cultivating our hearts. And even though we may gain a certain knowledge through listening, um, we should contemplate that as well. Try to bring the mind to peace. And when the mind is in a state of peace, then one day, it's not sure, but one day when we're listening to the Dhamma, like we are, like maybe this will happen on this retreat, then a clear understanding can come up, perhaps just temporarily. But through that, a great sense of joy arises. There's this happiness, this fullness of heart. This rapture can appear for three days and three nights, feeling joyful because of the Dhamma, understanding things for what they are. Because this is something that all of us really want. We want to see the Dhamma. We want to see Nibbana. We want to reach the state where there's no suffering. Because we see that we suffer so much in this life. And that suffering arises because of greed, hatred and delusion. The mind is so agitated, so frantic. Perhaps we haven't really experienced much stillness before. But when we set ourselves on this practice, then we start to develop. Even though we may have work to do, we maintain our mindfulness through that. We may have a family, but we manage our time so that we have some time to develop mindfulness and samadhi. And it's not like we need to just go off by ourselves and just kind of abandon that or leave that behind and go by ourselves. But we can manage our time um, where we're living. Maybe keep the eight precepts for one or two days per week. Um, and manage our time, so some time with our family and also some time for ourselves to practice. So in the time of the Buddha, there were many of his disciples who had a family and who practiced as well. And they could reach this state of seeing into not-self. And really this is all that we need to do, is just change our views, change our views from wrong views into right views, to see through uh, Sakaya Ditti, this uh, self view, and uh, attachments to rites and rituals and skeptical doubts. And these are three cords that bind us really tightly, and ones that we need to break. And if we can break that, those, that first barrier, then what's left, it won't take so long, and it's not so difficult. But it's that first barrier that's really hard work. So it's like a strong rope that binds us, or like a dako ball that they have in the 
Southeast Asia, this kind of wicker ball, um, that the various strands of that are very tight together. And so it's like that, the way that we feel about things. The self is very tight. It's all just me, 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 self, 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 and everything. There's this greed, hatred, and delusion that comes up. And self, this me, this me that comes up. Even though we may study and listen to the Dhamma, but when there's sense contact that arises, then self comes up right there. So we need to be really careful around this sense contact. When we see something, when we hear something, then we need to be really cautious, because right here is where the defilements arise. So Ajahn Chah, he gave the simile of it being like a lime. And if we don't touch that lime to our tongue, then we don't experience any taste of sourness. So if there's no sense contact that comes up, then the defilements come up, don't come up. But during our daily lives, that we see so many things, we hear so many things, the defilements arise and we really cling to this. So we need to be careful. It's also useful to have some periods where we can spend um, in quiet, like this retreat, having time to be in a quiet place and listen to the Dhamma. And then during that, these defilements, they don't get aggravated so much. Or if they do, it's just a small amount. And this gives us the opportunity to make our samadhi practice firm. Uh, to sincerely try to look at all things as being anicca, dukkha, anatta, as being empty. Looking at this body as being merely a body, as just being a biological machine. So this is all for the sake of peace. Our giving, generosity, our virtue, our meditation is all for the sake of peace. For the arising and the development of wisdom for the sake of freedom from suffering. So may all of you really be sincere in this. And I myself um, had experienced this um, as well, you know, what you're doing, that I before was really um, interested in listening to the Dhamma be really sincere uh, to listen to the talks of these uh, meditation masters. And when I set my heart on listening like that, there was this peace. And so this is one level of samadhi, when we're sincere in listening to the Dhamma. And then when the time came, then there was this gathering together um, of the mind. And I didn't expect for that to happen. If I had thought uh, before, you know, that in one year or two years that I would see the Dhamma, then I would have felt, you know, very um, at ease. But I just didn't know that any of this was going to happen. And so we can have this um, sincerity to see the Dhamma and understand in this life. But then as we get older, or sickness 
comes or death starts coming closer, then we can start to worry. But you should try to kind of maintain your mindfulness and develop wisdom so that you're able to see into emptiness so that this joy can arise, this understanding can arise through meditation. So while you're listening to these Dharma talks, listening to this translation, then be sincere in that, really set your heart firmly on that, on listening to the Dhamma so that joy arises, so that your Bharami grows. And whenever your Bharami becomes full, then you'll gain knowledge right then. So if you can destroy this first barrier of the lower fetters, then what's left, it's not so hard. There's no eighth life left. You kind of gain a knowledge into the nature of conventions. But if we don't have that knowledge, then we don't know when samsara is going to end, when it's going to stop. So take it in this life, do it in this life. So may you succeed in this. May you know the Dhamma, may you see the Dhamma.